it's funny how God works. Uh, when I <clears throat> and the team sat down to plan this series, this was one of the topics that I was <laughs> almost adamant about speaking on, but had no idea what would be happening in this past week. No clue. And it is appropriate. It, it connects in a really clear way. Um, this idea of us being interconnected so much, sometimes it feels like culture is far, far away, but we know a lot about it. Different cultures, different social, economic things that people experience. <clears throat> and today's message is going to hit on that. <clears throat> today's message is going to speak into what does it look like when we as followers of Christ bump up against social differences, cultural differences, not just with the people who don't know Jesus, <clears throat> but also those that do know Jesus. And, and especially today, as we look at those who are near to us, those who are close but different, this past week really brings into focus how different and how crazy things can get. So I say that as a side note to recognizing that God, he's sovereign and he knows things that we will never understand. Because when I started planning this three weeks ago, we were in a relatively different place. But as followers of Christ today, we need to recognize that it is our responsibility to move that gospel forward, to jump into situations that are different. So we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of our series. We got another six weeks of, of jumping into some, actually some themes that will tie together. Uh, and, and it's dangerous. I could sit here and, and uh, recap. Uh, we did this study, uh, the book of Acts, with our young adults a couple years back. And every once in a while, after a couple weeks, it, it took us almost a year to get through, uh, maybe a little longer. I would, I would recap just to catch people up. I don't have the time for that. Uh, it's one of those things I want to do. It's the teacher in me. But uh, what I'm going to encourage everyone to do, if you're new with us or if you're online and have yet to, to catch up, it is all online. Uh, it is at thefreshwater.church forward slash, wherever Len is, uh, Acts. And you can go there and you can find the past messages. Uh, you can hear them or you could watch them however you would like. Um, and, and we also have this, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but this is in back. It's the brochure that goes with this message. It has some clarifying points points in it. So I'm going to do that as the recap. That's it. So we've been a lot of places, um, but we're going to move into kind of a three-week series, a mini-series here of talking about social differences. Uh, and here's the thing. There's, there's a lot of this in the book of Acts. We're going to see this movement forward of the gospel through multiple diff uh, cultures, socioeconomic settings. Um, and and this, is, this is so important because it starts with a bunch of townies from the Galilean countryside. Um, and, and I think that that's important for us to understand that this, this group, uh, as empowered as they were by the Holy Spirit, they were just ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Through him and his movement, through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. But they 
in this movement would confront things that, that were conflicting in, in their culture and their social setting. So they had to figure out how to flex and adapt. They had to do that, one, to spread the message of Jesus effectively. They had to flex and adapt for that. And two, they had to build a whole new structure. They're, they're building this thing that we now call church. They're, they're building the Christian church, and Christian hadn't even been used yet. That word wasn't even in place at the time that we're going to be looking at here. And if you want to turn to the book of Acts in chapter 6, that's where we'll be. It'll be up on the screen as well. But they have to get through these social differences, and they have to build a structure. And if you know me, um, I love structure. <laughs> um, it, it, I, I like a good spreadsheet. I like a good process. I like a good method. Um, and here's the deal. That is necessary in the kingdom of God too. As much as we'd like to fly by the seat of our pants and say, the Holy Spirit's got me, okay? Which he does. Scripture also says without vision, there's chaos. So there has to be some planning in place. There, there's something that we participate in in this movement forward. And that's where these townies from Galilee are at at this moment. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at these interactions. Um, and we're going to look at what it looks like to start where they are and move to the ends of the earth. So let me set it up this way. Imagine you spent your whole life in a little region right around Jerusalem and the Sea of Galilee. You can kind of see what that looks like. We have a little map here. You could do that. But let me, let me take it a step further and, and, and put it in context, perspective for us. You're going to see a map that's going to come up here on the screen. <clears throat> Imagine all you knew of culture and society was in that little circle. I put the dot on Wadsworth, where we're at here. But imagine everything you knew, because that's about the same square miles that the disciples, the apostles, the earlier followers of Christ in this moment in Acts 6, this is what they knew. And now they're tasked to move past the red line. I know for me growing up, um, we, we weren't mobile, and then some of our older folks in the room may, may know this as well. You basically kind of sat in your own space, and, and that's what you knew. You know, I grew up just southwest of that black dot, and basically what I knew <laughs> was Worcester, that's where we'd hang out as, as high school kids, or <laughs> Rolling Acres Mall, which doesn't even exist anymore. It's now an Amazon facility. That's what I knew of culture for the most part. We didn't travel a lot. Um, uh, we didn't go to Cleveland a lot. I, I went to the University of Akron uh, to, to go to school. And, and to be honest with you, I'd been there maybe three times before my first day of class. Um, but you can kind of get yourself in this place and recognize what these new followers of Christ are experiencing. They have just been told to go and do this. But they have to face things that are very different. And that kind of ties into what we're experiencing now, right? We, we, can, we live in a whole different culture. We can pull out our phones. Actually, first hour, I said we could flip open our phones. I'm like, what the? Where? I haven't flipped a phone open in two decades. Um, <clears throat> But we can open up our phones and we can see everything. You, you have all the information right here. But here's the difference. Seeing it on your phone or, or on the TV or on your computer is not the same as experiencing it and learning how to interact with it 
And so now we have that moment in time, and it couldn't have been more timely. As a youth pastor, uh, I, I used to talk to kids and the question would always come up, or uh, one late you know, night over Mountain Dew, kid would say, hey, what would happen if Jesus never came, and he came now? And my answer is, he wouldn't. God is infinitely more wise than we will ever be, and he chose this moment in time in this little area of Israel because it was perfect for the spreading of the gospel. Israel, Jerusalem especially, was a crossroads of the far east and the far west. From Africa, everything crossed through here. So these, these guys, these early followers, were hearing stories of the world. They were getting their Wikipedia and their Google in the market square. But it hadn't been a big experience yet. And the timing was perfect now for this to explode. And so what is happening here is that Jesus' message is about to move it's about to spread to the ends of the earth. And here's the deal. As the disciples, the early apostles, the early followers of Christ started this off, spoiler alert, they failed miserably. But then, trusting the Holy Spirit, they excelled. And I want to reiterate something that Mike Stark shared at the very beginning. You know, you could look at this and you can look at the different people groups and the characters, but the main character of the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. He takes this and moves in a big way. So let's, let's look at it right now. In Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the numbers of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So we have this moment. We have this great timing of God. And what we see is that they're bumping up against, even though they're close, but different. You're going to see that on the screen. Even though they're close, there's some differences. So it, it falls in this time in Jerusalem, in that scripture that we've been hearing a lot, Acts 1, 8, if you were to memorize any scripture out of this whole series, Acts 1, 8 would be it. But we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This moment is the Jerusalem and Judea. But they're having their first contact with the Samaria and the ends of the earth here in this moment. So what happens? This is still early in the movement. These people are being, being added. People are being added every day as they surrender to Jesus. At this point, thousands 
This is not far after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. This is not that far after that. But thousands have already been added to the church, to the body of Christ. You can look at it in Acts chapter 2. It'll be up here. You don't have to turn to it. So they who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day 3,000 souls. That's in Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, this, this timing, this moment, is producing tons of followers of Christ. And because this is not so far away from the Passover, remember that, that, that week that Jesus experienced crucifixion and resurrection, it wrapped around the Jewish holiday of Passover, all of these Jews from all over the area, and some far off, were now gathered here in this perfect time. And what happened is they heard the saving, graceful, merciful message of Jesus, and they gave their life to the Lord. But the Jewish culture still held on. Generally speaking, Jewish culture at this time was split into two groups. The first group we're going to call the high Jews or the Hebraic Jews. Uh, these are, are folks who would uh, have seen themselves as faithful to their forefathers by staying close to Jerusalem, close to that promised land. They, they spoke Hebrew in their spiritual worship, in their family time, in their social interactions. They held tight to that. And then there was another group, the group that in Scripture is referred to as the Hellenists. Um, the Hellenists were, were Jews who had moved past Jerusalem. They had spread out, and they had started adopting Greek culture. Uh, they started speaking the Greek language. In the eyes of the high Jews, the Hebraic Jews, they saw the Hellenists as outsiders, as less than. And what we're seeing right now in this moment in time is that their widows are being neglected. Those who were in need in this new community were being neglected. I would probably say that it wasn't intentional, but I know humans. <laughs> and maybe it was. You see, for us, we could relate. If you think about that circle, you know, there are Christians all over the place. They may be close, but they could be different in their worship or their style. Even in that circle, you could start here and you could go south and we could, we could end up in, in the, the realm of, of the Mennonites and the apostolic church. We could, we could move further north and end up with Catholicism. We could move, for some of us, when we were younger, the North Hill of Akron was almost solely Italian immigrants and families. Now, the North Hill of Akron is mostly Asian refugees. North Hill High School is no longer 50% African-American and 50% Caucasian. 
it's almost completely Asian refugees and families, many from Nepal and Tibet. Not far, but if they worship Jesus in that culture, they would look different to us. We would have to stretch and flex because we get in our comfort zones. And that is what's happening here. The high Jews, the Hebraic Jews are neglecting the Hellenistic Jews, maybe from some past strain in relationships, tenuous times. But by and large, these people were pretty much the same. Their faith was the same. For the most part, they looked the same. They didn't live super far apart. They experienced the same persecution that the world was putting on them. But because of that minor social difference, they were at odds. Enter the saving grace of Jesus and you would think that it would all change. You would think that it would fix itself. And here's the deal. In some ways, it already had. Jesus' power, the Holy Spirit's influence, had already done the first step. And the first step of overcoming social differences is getting close. We have to get close to each other. We have to take that step. Now, Jesus, in bringing them all together in this timing, he had done that. There was something supernatural in this moment. He had brought them together in this right time, right place scenario. The reality, though, for us, if we were to bring it and personalize it and make it applicable to us today, the reality is that we probably need to stretch out. We need to do something. You see, it's not always supernatural. Sometimes we need to do the work. Sometimes we as followers of Christ, we need to make an effort. This is true for those that we need to share the gospel with, but it's also true with those that we need to lock arms with and move the church forward. Through all the differences, whether it's by location and geography or because of culture and social status, sometimes overcoming social differences means putting in the work. We need to put in the work. We need to take steps forward. You see, here in this moment, the community had become complacent. They had, slapped, they had slipped back into old patterns, and that social divide had crept back in. And it was hurting the community. It was hurting this fledgling church of Christians. The, the apostles had to identify this problem quickly. They had to do it with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and they needed to work out a solution. They needed to do something to move the church forward. And I think that they realized what it was pretty quickly. I think they realized that the old life had crept in. You see, we all, it doesn't matter if it's this social difference, we all have an old life when we come to know the Lord. And First Corinthians says, or Second Corinthians says, the old life is gone, the new life has come, but here's the deal with sin. Sometimes it knocks on the back door when we're most comfortable, maybe complacent, and, and we turn our head to go, what's the noise? And, and it takes our eyes off the prize. It could be anything. For them, it was social differences. It was this tenuous relationship that had been centuries long. 
And the apostles found themselves in this moment trying to figure out how do we fix this? How do we move forward? Because this is going to stall us out and the gospel's not going to move. So they needed to work on correcting the mindset. They needed to move this issue to the, the garbage heap of unredeemed things. But it wasn't going to be easy. Now I want to stop here before we get into what they did. Before we get into the minutiae and get into the place I like and talk a little bit about structure. You see, this is where the church starts to take form. This is where what you are sitting in right now starts to get muscle. It starts to get methodology. And the disciples, the apostles, did something that we have seen for years that we would just count as normal. You see, for 2,000 years, the representatives of God have gone and done the things necessary to break into and through social cultures and differences. They do this to deliver the truth. We've all done this. It started with Jesus. He, he, Jesus is God with skin on. God gave up his throne and came here and lived among us. The first chapter of John, you've heard it said, he, he came and pitched his tent in our neighborhood. He didn't do that so he could relate to us. He did that so we could relate to him. He knew us and he knew what he needed to do. Fast forward a little bit. We've already heard some of it for Paul's movement. We're going to hear more of it over the next couple weeks. But Paul and the first century missionaries did the same thing. They risked big to go into new societies and cultures. They learned about them. They learned their languages. They learned their art. They learned the stuff so that they could be there. 1 Corinthians 9 says it this way. For though I am free from all, this is Paul speaking, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law. Not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them its blessing. You see, this, this mentality of learning societies and cultures is not a new thing. We've seen it. Let's get more modern. The early American missionaries, they would go and learn what they could of social norms and culture before they would go off to these far-off places. They learned the language, the customs, the etiquette. They even knew the reality of their mortality. This is how much they knew about those cultures. They packed their belongings in a coffin because they knew the likelihood is that they were going to come home in it. Fast forward even more to today. Our youth leaders here from the church, and you, most of you know that I love Young Life. Young Life leaders who are going to the high schools and being with kids to build relationships. They take the time to learn the language, the customs, the etiquette. Most of them come home alive. Um, <clears throat> This is not new stuff, but this is the thing that the disciples, as they're going, how do we fix our problem? They're formulating what church is going to look like. So let's circle back around to them. We'll reread Acts 6, 3 through 7. Therefore, brothers, 
pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. Then they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Ticnor, Timon, Paramenus, and Nicholas. You know, I say those names different every time, but if you stay in with confidence, everybody just goes along with you. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and great many priests. Hear that. Priests. These are the people who crucified Christ. A great many priests became obedient to the faith. I want you to see a couple things. First, all of those missionaries that I went through, all of that work from Jesus to the youth leaders, one of the things that they knew worked the best One of the things that they know is best, once they break into the culture, once they've made headway into that culture, it's when the locals catch the vision and experience transformation, and then they take the lead for their people. They know that. We see that. And so do the disciples. They knew that. They see that. Let's look at the criteria for this new group. First, they were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. The apostles knew that without that, it was going nowhere. They needed to pick a group of people. And especially we see it in Stephen, who were full of the Holy Spirit and had wisdom. You see, the next point here is that we need to realize overcoming social differences requires divine resources. We can put in the work, but if we don't get divine resources, we might fall, we will fall flat. They didn't pick slouches here, folks. They chose those that had obvious obvious reliance on the Lord. The apostles also implemented another methodology here of building within, you know, taking the locals, them experiencing transformation, and then placing them in the leadership. They chose men from the community, the community that needed the help, the community of Hellenists. They chose these men out of the group that was not being cared for. We know this because first, Scripture says they chose from them. The apostle said, choose from among yourselves. And we also know this because of the names I couldn't pronounce. None of those were Jewish. All of those were Greek. All of them are Greek. All of these men who they chose were Hellenists. The apostles, in their wisdom, after experiencing the Holy Spirit, realized for us to succeed, for this to succeed, for the gospel to move forward, we need to figure out how to work in our social differences, and we need to raise up people who are different than us. We need to put these deacons, because that's the word used here, the table servant, The diakonos, that's a Greek word I can pronounce, means deacon. It means to serve the table. They started a new structure. We use that structure here today. We have deacons and deaconesses in our church that serve the body. They are building church. The disciples knew that to do this, let's elevate someone with a social difference to leadership. Let's lock arms in our gifts and our calling, the disciples and apostles to teach and pray and the deacons to serve, to take care of the tasks, to build ministry on the ground. 
We live in that today. We do the same things today. And I want you to see the sweet outcome. The sweet outcome here of pushing past their comfort zones, the sweet outcome of them establishing something in God's timing, this structure, this movement forward, trusting the Holy Spirit, thousands, many, day by day, were being added to their numbers, even those priests. The church is moving forward, and it has to, because it's just a, sh- just a few short moments in time. We've already heard, I read it last week, the martyrdom of Stephen... When he is stoned, one of those deacons disperses all of these people, Hellenist and high Jew, all over the world. They need to learn how to interact in the social differences and cultures that they're going to experience. God's timing. God's timing and a huge impact. So I want to do something here because... The timing is right. I want you to think about something. I want you to look down and I want you to look at the thing that's suspending you off the floor. Okay? That's the chair you're sitting on. How did it get there? When you walked in the doors today, okay, there was probably someone holding it open for you if you came in doors that our greeters were at. You look around the building, you go, how does that get done? Who does that? How in the world are the kids not charging through that door right now completely out of control? You see, things get done by the body of Christ. This structure that the church put in place with the apostles, this movement forward was not by accident. Things happen because the body jumps in. We lock arms whether we have social differences or not. There's about 15 folks, there is 15 folks on our staff here at the church. We can't do everything. We couldn't care for you guys well if it was reliant on us. Things wouldn't get done. We have sacrificial servants that serve in multiple places. We'll actually be talking more about that in the annual meeting if you want to join us. But I want to highlight one. If you remember back... Uh, Norm shared in his sermon about accountability that we need to report when ministry gets done. Bring back these reports. So I'm going to invite Chris Seesock up here. I'll grab your mic. We had a joke that one of these days I'm going to reach over to grab one of these mics and I'm going to end up down there. I'm just, it's going to happen. And everybody's going to laugh Thank you, sir. Until, I moan, until I moan and complain on the floor. So I'm going to have you come over here. I got yelled at because we were so far over. Um, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, <clears throat> everybody say hi to Chris Seesock. So I've invited Chris up here because he is one of the guys that makes sure that you're not sitting on the floor right now. And here's the deal. We could easily walk into this moment thinking that's just a task. That's just a task that just needs to get done. In some ways, you could look at it that way. But what I want to do is I want Chris to share with you what it means for him and his team. Okay, he has a team of folks. Right now, it's him and Steve Muller. Steve was going to be up here, but he got called away on business. But there are multiple people in this room, folks who have served in the past in this capacity. But Steve and and Chris have been doing it for a while. Chris has been doing this for six years. He has been the one who's partnered with folks to make sure all of these are lined up. We joked about, yeah, he put it on the tape, but they don't do that anymore. Now they use their feet. They one, two, three, chair. Um, 
But these are the folks who are doing some work behind the scenes. And I asked Chris to share, what does this look like? What you're doing, how does it move the kingdom of Christ forward? So I'm going to give it over to Chris now. He posed that question. He said, how is what you're doing furthering the kingdom of Christ? And I kind of sat back and I and I'm guilty. I considered it a task. For these years, I've considered it a simple task we do because it needs to be done. We sit on chairs. This is a common thing in our culture. We sit. <laughs> so I really had to think about it. And I wanted to answer Sean's question in kind of a three-prong answer. So how does what we do and how does this simple task or ministry further the kingdom of Christ? So first one's the big one, um, Sunday service. Um, it allows us as believers and others as non-believers um, a place to come, comfortably worship, and not feel crowded on top of each other, and we can just worship freely as we choose to do. That's number one. I think that's the simplest and the biggest one. Um, number two, which I kind of threw in on Sean, is our church always talks about community, um, being in community with other believers. If no one has been a part of a ministry before where it's a small team, it's an awesome, awesome thing. I mean, we have a group of guys, um, currently with COVID and everything, it's, it's shrunk down just because we haven't needed the people, but we have people aging from 63 down to 33. And it's an amazing thing when you get to see the same group of believers every week, you get to share, you get to talk life, you get to talk family, you get to talk work, everything going on. You're really in a community and furthering the kingdom of God that way. Um, lastly, on a personal level, is just the individual being in the ministry. Um, you see so much growth from regularly volunteering. I don't know, do you guys like the word volunteering? Sacrificial Sorry. servants. Yes. Sacrificial servants. You get so much uh, personal growth from sacrificially serving within the church. Um, we all have things going on. We all have jobs, kids, extracurriculars, everything like that. But I, I promise you guys, if you reach out, if you join a ministry, whatever it may be, it can be as simple as this, a simple task of setup. It's a great, great thing because you get to do it with a body of believers. So I want to do two things. First, um, I, I want to thank Chris and his team. So give it up for Chris and his team. Huge thank you. Thank you. Um, like I said, Chris has been doing this for six years, and this is necessary. The, this sort of stuff happens everywhere in our church. And so thank you. That reporting back and us being accountable as a team, as a ministry, to saying, well done, good and faithful servant. The other, are they waving you over? Uh, other, the other thing I want to do, too, is I want to say this. Uh, Chris Sheer, being in a ministry is important. Giving yourself away is important. Um, he is actually going in one team to move on to a different ministry. So this is also a call to you. If you are willing to jump in on this ministry, Chris is committed to sticking around and, and raising up from within a group of folks who'd be willing to do this, um, to, to do the task that is actually moving the kingdom forward. Uh, so I want to put that out there as well. And I guess finally, one other thing I want to say uh, before uh, Chris heads off is that there are many places where people are doing this, and I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you, but I also want to say the need is still great. 
And like I said, in the annual meeting, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But know that that is going to be, there'll be a drumbeat for us as a church moving forward. Now, I want to pray over Chris and his team. And I have a couple more things. Father God, we're just thankful for this day. Thankful for everything that you give us when it comes to being a part of the body of Christ. And I'm thankful for Chris and his team and what they do because it matters. You have lots of things in your kingdom that need to be done that you empower us to do, that you call us to do. And I am thank you, thank, thankful that you called Chris to this, that you called Steve to this, that you have called countless others, Ben, John, Josh, I'll forget many, but those who have been doing this task for so long. Father, we're thankful that you have called up people. You've called people to serve the table. In Jesus' name, amen.